Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gaiti. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You will also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. We are talking to Jerome Rue, who's a agile master coach, comes with amazing experience spanning across decades in the world of agile transformation, even before word agile was coined. You will also hear stories on self-transformation and what has worked and some of the areas he wishes that this world works better. He talks about how hierarchies are broken in the zoom enabled world and what successful people can make happen using mentors around them i'm passionate about we need to be able to share successes i help this client to do this using this approach listen on hi jerome welcome to software people stories so happy to have you here Gidri, thank you for hosting me i am honored to be here as well very much looking forward to speaking with you for our listeners i know you for for the last three years and I want you to introduce yourself, your career, right? Amazing career, I want. <laughs> my, my checkered past, if you will, there, yes. Um, so I'll, I'll do the Twitter-sized introduction about me then, I suppose. I've been in the um, lean, agile, and digital transformation space now for 24 years, I want to say. Um, I started off in finance, so you know, by way of education, I should be an investment banker of some sort. Um, but I was, I was compelled with the power of data and analytics. And so one of my first jobs out of college, I was mer- working as a branch manager with a major regional bank in the Midwest and was constantly beset by requests for data. Like people always wanted to know, you know, well, how are the loans doing? What's the pipeline look like? How are we going to close? How is this underwriter performing relative to that one, et cetera? And we really didn't have a good means of answering those questions. And so one opportunistic weekend, I opened a book on, um, I'm going to date myself here, it's on Microsoft Access 2.0. And I took this book home over the weekend. I thought, oh, this doesn't look so bad. And I came in the following week and I was actually able to uh, integrate with an ODBC connection to our lending application system. And then on a desktop using OS2 Warp, that takes me back, like gives you an idea how old I am here. We had a database and suddenly all this data was at our fingertips. And the power of that was just compelling to me. And I think that's really what began my journey to the dark side. So as I got better at this technique and this technology, I was fortunate. I was able then to go into business for myself and I opened a consultancy. So I'm doing uh, business intelligence and data warehousing development. This is all through the, uh, the 1990s and then into the Y2K period. And then a funny thing happened in in, in late nineties. It was around that time period as part of my closing ceremonies, I would say with my clients, I would build a solution and I deliver it to them. And I'd ask them in so many words, you know, how do I know my baby will be well cared for? That's the way I like to explain that. And (laughs) I wasn't, I wasn't confident in the answers that my clients were giving me. And I was acquainted with a gentleman and you'll know him, Dr. Jeff Sutherland, but this was before, you know, we couldn't just hop on a zoom call and say, you know, Dr. Jeff, what do you think of this? But we had news groups. And so I was acquainted and he at the time was putting together what would become the scrum framework. And I reached out and I asked him, you know, would you mind this? I'm not going to try and make any money off of this. I don't want to brand it or anything, but I I really like 
like the, this thinking that you have. It brings a very engineering perspective to the problem of how do we build and scale software solutions? And, and would you mind if I spoke to that with some of my clients? And Dr. Sutherland's brilliant. He's so generous too. He's like, sure, easy. You, you may think of some things that I hadn't thought of. So go for it. And then a weird thing happened to my business. The demand for that scrum consultation skyrocketed. Wow. And yeah, so suddenly I'm spending less and less time with my hands on a keyboard and more and more time talking to project teams back then about Scrum and about you know, what would ultimately become these agile practices. And it was compelling for me. And it just, it struck me on so many different levels. Yeah, obviously, from a business standpoint, I'm looking at this and saying, this is a much more efficient approach to, to building software. So I was still thinking at the time, this was kind of a software specific discipline. But what really struck me is you could see the effect it was having on these individuals as people. And suddenly they felt engaged and they felt connected and they felt empowered. And, and I just said, yes, if I can bring that, that by itself to any company, I'm going to sleep good at night. I would feel successful with that. So I, I spent a few years then doing what would today be considered team level coaching. And then the next obvious question that I would, would be asked was, what about multiple teams that need to work together? Like, you know, is there a way for that to happen? And my mentor in that space was a gentleman named Boss Voda, Dutchman, and a great guy. And he's a good friend today. But as you know, Dietrich, he and Craig Larman would go on to author the large scale scrum framework. Oh, and oh. so- and now I had an answer to that question. How do these multiple teams collaborate together? So I would talk about large-scale scrums. And uh, the, the evolution of that became the uh, kind of esoteric question of well, what would an entire company look like that's built around these agile practices? And I think that's when the term agile transformation was truly born. And that then was the direction that my career took. And, and I, haven't, I haven't gotten off that particular rocket ride since. I've been fortunate. It's amazing, right? When you said how people's hearts have changed, how emotionally vested people get once they get empowered and they kind of own their own destiny. Can yes. you talk a few stories around it? I would I'd be happy to. And so that, that's just something that, again, if, if you ask me what I'm most proud of over the course of my career, it's going to be in that space. I'll give you a great story. So this was in the early 2000s. And I had the opportunity then to work with a, a wonderful think tank. They happen to be here in North Carolina called the Center for Creative Leadership. Okay. And this organization, they're well known for their executive coaching. And if you ever get the opportunity to uh, participate in one of their programs, you should totally do it. It's worth the money. And okay. they have a beautiful campus. They reached out and they were actually looking for me to help them build what would amount to a BI solution. But I, of course, was going to do that for them using agile practices. And they said, well, we've got a little bit of an operating constraint. I wonder if you can help us. We can't afford to bring this team together in Greensboro, North Carolina. You know, we, we don't have that kind of funding. Um, can we do this virtually? And at the time, I thought, well, that's different. But sure, why not? Let's take it on as an experiment. It's kind of ironic given where we are in you know, 2020 and 2021 with the pandemic. But I was connecting with these people then over, um, we had Skype at the time. And I think we had a WebEx connection for, uh, for video show. And so we met with these folks, explained to them, you know, this is what we're trying to do with the solution, but we've got this unique engagement model. You know, could you get comfortable with that? You know, would you mind looking at a picture of my big, ugly head every day? And the team was like, I oh, will try it. You know, it's something new. We'll go along for the ride. And we began having your know, daily standups. So we're running Scrum as a team. I was in North Carolina on site. So I was uh, very closely working with a lady who would be their product owner. And she was brilliant. She would join us for the Scrums, very accessible. And so I was functioning kind of as a hybrid, almost a Scrum master and an agile coach then. And uh, the team absolutely fell in love with this engagement model. And they're, they're thinking, you know, wow, 
we thought this was going to be another consulting engagement, but we, we truly feel like a team. You know, we see each other every day. We talk, we ask questions, we bounce ideas. We've got this smart lady who's a product owner and she's giving us feedback. Where has this been all our lives? And, and I'm just, you know, grinning each day as I come into the facility and I, I get the chance to, and at the same time, you know, this was a, a distributed team. This was a group of consultants because again, you know, we, we had operating constraints financially. We, we would love to have brought them all together in person, but it just wasn't going to happen. And so we then were kind of forced into the same situation that a lot of companies were forced into in 2020 was, well, how do we work together in a distributed in a digital environment? And so we, we just prioritized a lot of visual communication. We had an always on connection using a WebEx and then using at the time it was just Skype. You know, we were constantly pinging each other back and forth. What about this? What about that? And the product owner was all in on this. So she was accessible. She was forward thinking and she was willing to embrace this new approach to work that none of us had ever experienced before. And the happy ending was at once we, we developed a brilliant solution. And the idea of the business problem they were having was they needed to match their instructors to a particular need. So, you know, a use case might be we need an instructor who can be in Sao Paulo between this date and this date, fluent Portuguese, an expert on uh, the rights of senior workers in the workplace. And, and of course, you know, CCL would have those people, but to find them and then to match them based on their skills and their availability was really tough. And so we built that solution, which is still in use today. But what's even cooler is the team is still together today. Like there, there are some of the OGs wow. who are still working in that distributed model. And um, I pinged with one of them a couple of weeks ago and I said, how's it feel like everything old is new again? And she laughed and she's like, you know, it's so cool that we've been doing this for years already. So a lot of lessons learned from that I've been able to apply to the pandemic situation. Very, very cool story. In fact, one of the things that comes in mind is where is this simple thing actually not having distance, right? Sometimes ego gets in the way that, you know, I am bigger and engineering is bigger or product is bigger or leadership is bigger. It's not the case, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think in a lot of ways, it levels the playing field in terms of perceived hierarchy that it, it's, it's much easier. You know, if I'm a senior leader and I commandeer you into a conference room and you all seat around a big, long table and I sit at the head of that table and I'm making you know, power poses with my hands, it reinforces hierarchy. But when you're on a Zoom, call and you know it's like everybody's got you know here's my dog in the background and our kids are wandering back and forth it's a great reminder that you know we're all people and you know we all have those you know i don't even consider them distractions you know that's life life is happening in the background while we are focusing on work and i think it humanizes us in just a wonderful way and i find that to be an advantage i think it's even easier to work with someone when their their child pops up in the middle of their zoom call and waves hi and whatnot it's like oh that's adorable you know let me let me show you my dog she's sleeping under the desk here, et cetera. It's fantastic, uh, you know. I mean, I know you as a voracious speaker. First time I remember meeting you was in a ribbit page, right? It was a page where you said, hi, uh, and I'm, I'm just doing this. I'm just coming in. What's your thought? That was the first time the whole internet kind of exploded with common feedback. I've never seen that happen. How do you make that happen? I mean, you bring your innate energy, right? How do you make that happen? And I'm sure there must be stories on your journey on to reach there. It's um, one, thank you. That, that, that means a lot to me. I, I think it's important, at least I try to bring my genuine self to the workplace. I personally would just find it exhausting if I had to keep up errors and try and pretend to be someone or something that I wasn't. And so this is me. You know, my wife would tell you, yep, he's like that all the time. <laughs> and you, you can take that for what it's worth. But I, I think just being genuine about yourself. The, the other thing is, 
that I truly believe you have to be passionate about your work. And that's not something that you can fake. You know, people can tell, you know, you're either into it or, you know, this is just a paycheck for you. And I think it's a, it's a point of reflection and even retrospection that we as agilists need to take on ourselves and regularly so that if we're not excited, if we don't get up in the morning and we're thinking, oh, I'm going to try this for this client that I'm supporting or this team that I'm working on, I've got this great idea that will help them. If you're not having those thoughts, you really need to find a place where you can have them, that, that you are, you're connected, you're passionately engaged. So I, I think it's very important. The, the other thing I try to do is to be very transparent. And so I enjoy written communication. I think it's great blogs. Like today, we're so blessed. We have uh, multimedia. So, you know, you can send out a blog post or a Teams chat or whatever it might be. And you're interacting with hundreds of people at the same time. And you, you think about the power in that, that, hey, I had this crazy idea. You know, tell me if you think this is crazy. And I can get that out in front of 100 different sets of eyes and ears and get back all those perspectives. It's such a powerful thing. So I feel you have to wield it responsibly. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's a great way just to bring your whole self to the workplace. So I'm thrilled with that. You know, one of the things, you know, how, how I got there, like I, I, maybe I'll give you a little, uh, a little background on you know, where, I, where I came from, I suppose. So I was a geek. I was doing the BI data warehousing thing. Um, you know, some of my earliest memories of technology, I shared with you, you know, Microsoft Access 2.0, and I thought I had graduated when I was writing uh, SQL Server code, like SQL 6.5 and SQL Base at the time even, that was cutting edge technology. And I remember like I, I was over the moon when Microsoft released analysis services with Microsoft SQL Server 7.0, because now it's like multi-dimensional analysis has gone mainstream. And I was just like, I was like a kid in a candy store with this. It was just such an amazing experience. And what I see today with a lot of the work around uh, big data and AI even, I feel like it's another case where everything old is new again. Like we weren't calling it big data back then, but you know, BI and data warehousing were the big data of the late 90s and early 2000s. And you see the way it's being used today. And I think you know, areas that it just strikes me. We're using AI in hiring now. And to me, that is fascinating. It's something I'm really passionate about. The reason for that is I see AI as a means of increasing objectivity in the hiring process. And the idea there is that um, it's going to help, hopefully, to mitigate like unconscious biases that that we might have. You know, the AI is looking at practical experience, and you know how relevant is your talent profile to the talent profile that we're hiring for. And it, it needs to be transparent because obviously there could be bias built into the AI. So I'm a big advocate for you know, open source platforms around that. But I love how that could lend itself to a more efficient hiring process. As a candidate, you know, you're going to spend less time answering the same old questions. You know, tell me about yourself. It's like, you know, oh my God, here we go again. Um, so let the AI come in and say, you know, you'd be a really good fit based on your CV or your LinkedIn profile. Uh, you know, we'd like to have you immediately speak with a hiring manager. So the, the entire process, in my opinion, would become more efficient and hopefully more transparent and objective. So I'm, I'm thrilled with that development about technology. I also see a lot about the, the role of the agile coach just evolving. Okay. And so yeah, Agile Coach wasn't even a thing when we got into this. I mean, it was there wasn't a name for what we were doing. And, and then, you know, it felt like overnight, suddenly there was a brand that had been developed. You know, Scrum Masters came first, obviously, and you had the Scrum Alliance that was on the scene and Scrum.org. And then suddenly you had people like uh, Lisa Adkins, who, you know, they, they invented the language that we would use to describe our industry. And Lisa's book about coaching Agile teams is one that I still go back to on a regular basis. And, you know, what a, what a brilliant OG thinker she was. But the, the 
role of the agile coach and uh, you know, how do you describe that? Or rather, you know, how do people describe that back to you? Like, how do they process what it is you do? I see that changing quite a bit as well. And so back in the uh, early 2000s and the mid 2000s, when you know, people would ask me, you know, what do you do? What do you do for a living? I'd think about it for a second and I would usually say something like, I work on computers <laughs> because it was, it was still primarily a discipline what focused on technology. Yeah, and it, it was just easier to explain that ah, I work on computers. And then they'd be like, oh, could you look at my laptop? I'm like, well, I don't really work on them that way. Today, when, when people think about an agile coach, I see it as being much more all-encompassing. And so you know, we now have the benefit history and experience that proves to us that agile practices scale and readily so beyond technology. And it's almost at this case, the exception rather than the rule when you have companies who haven't at least dipped their toe in the water of, you know, what are these agile practices? What is this? And I love that. But I think with that, as an agile coach, that adds a tremendous amount of responsibility in that, you know, it's no longer good enough for you to be able to explain Scrum to a product team. You know, that's, those are table stakes, not even table stakes. You know, if you, if you can't explain Scrum to me in a way that's passionate, you're not in this industry. But now I think to be a successful coach, you've got to be able to look at an organization almost from the perspective of a CEO. And you're, you're focused on things like uh, vision and mission and structure and strategy, tactics and execution. And, and you've got to be able to articulate that. And, and in some cases, even develop it where it doesn't exist. And so I, I I think the role of the agile coach has just evolved to the point that in order to be successful, it's going to require a certain amount of experience. You're going to have to have lived through this. And so starting as a scrum master and then broadening your sphere of responsibility, I think is a wonderful career trajectory. And I, I couldn't advocate that more strongly that being in the thick of working with a product team and, and inspiring them to think about themselves like a small company, you know, big companies acting small and big companies that are being enabled by these small autonomous teams look upon that as the training wheels to becoming an agile coach and indirectly, you know, a C-suite, a CEO, a COO, et cetera. Because if you look for it and if you process it properly, all of the same challenges are there with that product team that are faced by the CEO in that organization. So I think it's so important for a transformational lead to have that practical experience and to have those scars and those bruises. And ultimately, that will allow you to develop your philosophy on what it means to be a coach. And then when an organization reaches out and they say, well, we're trying to do a project to product transformation, you can say, yes, I understand that. Here's where I've done that before. And let me give you some practical examples. So I, I think you, you have to earn your stripes in this business is what I might suggest. Absolutely. In fact, when, when you're talking about uh, progression, uh, some, some people say, hey, I have so many years of experience, so I should be hired as a coach. I often say, hey, you know what? Do you have that experience of having smaller teams and then progressing helps you that much more easier to when you scale problems? If you don't have your foundations leveled up, some of the internet has also made this all this overnight uh, agile specialist, which I'm sometimes extremely worried about. <laughs> so you're right in terms of, you know, are you able to give real experiences which backs it up? Those experiences cannot be fake, right? You can't say do ABC. No, no, no. You tell me context. You tell me what all you tried before you actually ended up. <laughs> It's such an important point, Geecher. I see, um, and this is a trend that I see in the industry of late that that bothers me a little bit. So maybe this is a little bit of a rant, but I'm, I feel like this is a great forum for me to rant at it. So I'll, I'll, I'll bring it out. I see a lot of what I'm just going to call shameless self-promotion on the part of agile coaches. I see it every day on LinkedIn. I see you know, pictures of agilists that they look like the kind of pictures of insurance agents that you might see on a bench next to a bus stop. And they're standing next to their, oh, I just got this latest service 
certification blurb. Let me tell you all about it. And I, I'm like, look, the, the pursuit of alphabet soup on your resume, this is nothing new. Like I, I did it. I was there guilty as charged back in the 90s. The MCSE, the Microsoft Certified Systems Engineer Accreditation, I really think they were the first to bring certification to the mainstream. And so I was all in. I was an MCSD. I was an MCSD. I was a CCNA. I was a Cisco Certified Network Engineer. I wasn't even administering a network. I, I wasn't even a network administrator. And I had this Cisco certification. And so continuing education is great. We, especially as agile leaders, we need that. We have to be on the cutting edge of these new practices so we can bring them to our clients. But what I would say to the agile coaching community is celebrate the efforts that you made using these new techniques and how it succeeded or didn't. You know, great failure story is still a great story as opposed to, you know, digitally patting yourself on the back because you took a test and passed it. So I, I think it works against us in a lot of ways because it dilutes the brand of the agile coach and the transformation leader. It's, um, it's tough for me to explain to a business person without muddying the waters with, uh, I'm going to call them paper agilists because back then we had paper MCSEs. I say these are paper agilists who, you know, much like me in the 90s, they, they haven't even applied these practices that they're testing on. There's a great quote that kind of summarizes my thinking on that. It's a Polish philosopher. His name was uh, Alfred Korbiski. And uh, he said, the map is not the territory. And you, you can test on you know, any number of agile practices. You can go get your PMI ACP. You can get the latest agile coaching accreditation until you've applied those practices and have context. I don't want to know about your celebration. Good job. Go you. You earned a certification. Now do something with it. It is kind of where I'm at on that. When, when you're saying this, right, something uh, struck me. Activities and outcomes, right? You may be doing multiple set of activities, but certification is just another activity. I did training. Somebody was saying a couple of days back said, hey, I've done, I have trained 450 people. Then when I asked for why, uh, why did you try this? Why didn't you try that? They couldn't even answer that. And uh, the worst was they used the word resource for a person then <laughs> come on. <laughs> it, it's a great way to put it, Gitri. It really is that it's activities versus outcomes. And, and again, the, the reason that I, you know, I choose to rail on that particular point is that I think we as agile leaders, we need to be mindful of our brand. And if we are seen as perpetuating that notion of confusing activity with progress, it, it doesn't help us in the long run. And I, I think it ultimately, it leads to the thinking that agile coaches can be commoditized and it pushes, it pushes our brand equity downward is what I would say. So it, it's something that I'm passionate about. We need to be able to share successes. I helped this client to do this using this approach. And it worked really well. If you're solving a similar business problem, you'll call me. We should talk. Absolutely, Jerome. In fact, uh, some of the hardest conversations that I've had is, uh, uh, can you, uh, you know, stop looking at activity and looking at, you know, saying, can we look at lead time? Can we look at end-to-end? -end? Yes. Can we look at innovation? And giving more power to your team and your uh, initiative and destaining. Very, very hard conversation. Sometimes they, there is this quote-unquote fiefdoms that get created across uh, saying, oh, I have 300 people reporting to me. I have 500 people reporting to me. <laughs> it's like, okay, but uh, th those numbers don't mean anything. 
to the customers are they happier or where are those measures that mindset is the hardest to in fact i love the the fact that you immediately went to you know what are the demonstrable key performance indicators and that that's a technique that i like to use as well when i'm first meeting with a client and i'm deciding you know do i want to align my support to to this particular company organization i try to get them to agree when i say them i'm talking about senior leaders in the organization let's agree on what a post transform state would look like and how will we measure that a small number of kpis you nailed a few that are my favorite so as far as efficiency goes yeah, we need to look at lead time and cycle time as far as quality goes we're talking about mttr we're talking about defect frequency severity and priority value delivery and in measuring value is a point that i think a lot of firms get stuck on because it feels a touch uh, nebulous but for me it's a simple one it's a net promoter score you know your clients are ultimately the ones who will determine if you delivered something that was valuable to them or not so we should ask them and we should ask them often you know how are we doing would you recommend our product or service to a friend or a family member if they say yes you're creating value for the client and, and then culture you, you have to build proper processes and structures on a solid corporate cultural foundation and how do we measure that and, and again i think we overcomplicate it too often and so an employee net promoter score take that same platform that you developed to ask your external clients how are we doing and ask your employees the same question you know would you recommend this company as a great place to work to friends or family if they say yes you're doing good you know that that's a, a, the highest endorsement someone can give you is to say i love working here and i love it so much i'm going to recommend this to my best friend who does something similar to i do and bring them here i think having that perspective as an agile leader is so important Another challenge that I see, you know, coaches who are coming into the space and and I've encountered this a lot in my experience in consulting. So, you know, one of the the benefits of consulting is you get to see the inside of a lot of boardrooms and you're privileged to be in a lot of corporations, um, a lot of conversations with with C-level leaders. And what I have developed an ear for is whether I am being asked to guide a transformation, in other words to be a thought leader and to 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 comment and influence on mission vision strategy tactics etc or if i'm being recruited to fight a change war on behalf of members of leadership who they themselves haven't been able to influence their peers and they're now turning to outsiders agile coaches as uh, mercenaries in a proxy war of sorts and i've seen that a lot and i think as a, as an agile coach or a transformation lead you really need to develop a sense for the difference because it's an entirely different experience and strategy guiding a firm that wants to change versus convincing leaders at a firm who are change resistant that they need to change and so you know being mindful of what it is you're getting into being mindful of the experience that you're looking for as an agile leader if you want to guide a transformation if you're saying hey i've got the 10 years of experience i feel like i can bring enough that i could be a thought leader to an agile transformation for me top down alignment is the single most important factor if you don't have an executive sponsor with the resources and the backbone to shake things up to break away from business as usual there can be no transformation and you as an agile leader will likely just bang your head against the wall and end up getting frustrated till you either burn out lose your mojo or you'll move on to another firm and the the best coaches that i have seen they're, they're passionate people again they they want to be in the conversation they have ideas they see potential in places that others often do not and they struggle 
with impediments, enterprise impediments that are either political or to your point earlier, Gitri, that are self-serving by senior leaders who take a siloed view of that organization. So my guidance to coaches coming into the space or when you feel like you're ready to make that leap to an enterprise level is to know whether you're being asked to enter into one of those situations and then make an eyes open decision as to whether or not that's the type of experience that you're looking for. Extremely well put, uh, Jerome. To are you getting becoming a mercenary? <laughs> and working on behalf of somebody right that that puts you puts your role even more harder than it needs to be how do you handle such murky environments right let's say if you have gone it eyes open that yeah this is a problem and this is an area that you need change because in the end of the day there are a set of customers who need to be serviced and there are a set of employees who are working who are passionate to work so how do you bridge this that gap any experience or stories there? I would say that it, it's going to be a combination of persistence and tenacity, but at the same time, recognizing where that glass ceiling exists. And so what I would say, I've had the best success in bridging uh, change resistance and helping to create that strategic alignment when I've been able to build common goals at the enterprise level. And so uh, another fun technique that I like to use when I'm meeting with a client for the first time, and if I happen to, you know, we've got their senior leadership together, we're talking about, well, you know, what should we do? I'll say, you know, for the length of the meeting, for the next two hours, we're going to talk about this post-transform state, but I am going to strike the word agile from your vocabulary. And so it's no good, no good to say in six months, we'll be more agile than we are today. That's not fair. But it's absolutely fair play to say, well, in six months, we'll be quicker to market or in six months, yeah, our lead time and our cycle time will be reduced or in six months, we'll have this much growth into new sectors or existing sectors. And so w- when you frame the conversation that way, it's difficult to argue because any senior leader is going to say, well, of course, I'd like to be to market quicker. Or, of course, I'd like to be able to deliver quality more consistently. So by starting with building those common business objectives, I found it much easier than to bridge gaps as opposed to coming in and you're immediately advocating new practices, but you haven't really won over the senior leaders as to why they should attempt these new practices. There's a great book. It's about the Zen archer and the parable of the Zen archer. But if I could reduce that to the cliff's notes, read the book because it's much better than I can articulate it. But the, the whole idea of the Zen archer is that you become one with your target And that way there's nothing to shoot at. And to me, that is just squarely on the nose of building common goals. And so if I can establish that at the enterprise level, it's going to be so much easier than for me to win the support of trying new things, considering new structures, new approaches, et cetera. Wow. What a nice way. I'll definitely pick it up. Um, The best way to be one with a target. Wonderful. (laughs) I have never thought of it. So give me a second. For me to accept that. It's amazing. It's on right? your mind. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> very, very effective, right? In fact, um, some some of the recent ones that uh, deep work, I, I, I was reading this book and it was extension to mindfulness. What it said is accept boredom. It's like moment you say accept boredom, let's say you're standing in a line, just don't touch your mobile phone. Just say, just look at things. Just be as is. So that's apparently a better way to build faster neural networks when you're trying to work on something. So which is like mind-blowing, right? So it's the same thing. Having common goals and being able to stick to them and uh, being, you know, tenacious uh, behind them and creating those smaller wins. If you can create those smaller wins and keep moving towards that win. Excellently put, uh, Jerome. 
I think it's so important. What, what you said, and it, it hit me squarely in the chest when you said it. And there, so there was a brilliant leader that I encountered. I, I probably shouldn't name the company, but um, he, he is just, uh, and he's a good friend. So we keep this up. He used to say to me on the topic of accepting boredom, you know, something would happen and he would always say, I'm going to go sit with that for a minute. And at, at first I thought, well, what do you mean? You know, do you need 30 minutes? Like, are we going to reschedule a meeting or whatnot? But that's not at all what he was saying. He was saying, you know, I need to contemplate this. And he would go and reflect on a situation. And it might be a day, a couple of days a week. And he would come back and he would have just a well-formed perspective on that. And that's tough for me because I'm passionate. I'm like, go, go, go. You know, we need to keep moving forward. But his guidance, he would say, you know, when, when something happens, you're not sure which way to go. Have a sit, you know, have a sit with it for a while and come back to it. And I think accepting boredom in that way is a, is a brilliant approach as well. So um, shouts out to, uh, to Rami. He's my, my good friend in that regard and a, a mentor. He was the leader who brought that approach to me. Wonderful. Sit that for a minute. It's amazing, right? To say, okay, hey, can I look at it from different perspective and come back to it? Sometimes lethargy falls into say, hey, I will think about it. I'll postpone it. That's not how what we're talking about, right? We're talking about, hey, let me take, ponder over it and come back. That's a much more stronger and play, isn't it? I agree. It's one of the reasons as well. I mean, if you want to go meta on the whole, you know, agile and, you know, companies that are still clinging to waterfall practices, it's difficult to plot that experience of going to go sit with something into a project plan <laughs> because it, it's difficult and if you work with a leader who is cerebral enough and introspective enough to take that approach it, it's impossible for them to say okay i'm going to have my perspective by tomorrow at 12 30 p.m like, it doesn't work that way you know innovation strikes when the mood is right and to your point you know I, i'm considering it from multiple different perspectives and ultimately i decide this is what i think the company ought to do and so you're know, being date driven is just such an exhausting approach to running a business, but instead rather allowing your leaders to be innovative and to be deep thinkers and to sit with the problems their organization is facing and to contemplate them and to come back ultimately and say, here's what I believe we ought to try. Um, that's such a, a refreshing culture to be a part of. And so as coaches, when, when you can model that behavior, I think it, it helps people to step away from those legacy practices. And when you say as a coach, you know, hmm, this, this team is struggling with uh, prioritization or this team is struggling with bandwidth or whatnot, I'm going to have a think on that. And, and you come back to them in a little while later, I think it says to those leaders, you know what, this is a practice you can try as well. And it, it's in a very real way, I think, bringing mindfulness to the workplace. So I'm a big fan of uh, kind of operating at that intersection. The other point that I would say is this, though. So when, when we talk about how do you succeed in that kind of a situation where, you know, there's a gap that you, you recognize you're being brought in as a coach and the executive maybe whom you're aligned to wants this change to take place, but their peers maybe aren't aligned at that point. So you recognize you're being brought in as a mercenary. You know, this is a proxy war between one executive and the other, and you're the battle tank that's being brought in. I think it's important as well, though, to give yourself the grace to recognize when that's become a Sisyphus task when you are banging your head against that glass ceiling and when you recognize that you know the issues that are separating this executive team are endemic i think it's absolutely important that we as change agents can be at peace with that situation and that outcome and ultimately then to say either I'm going to recognize that this may not be a transformative experience. It may be a slow experience that's closer to continuous improvement. And I'm okay with that. I will adjust my approach accordingly. Or you may say, that's just not the experience that I'm looking for. I, I need to see change on a transformative scale. And so I'm going to go apply my craft elsewhere. 
And I think either of those outcomes is okay, but I think it's very important that we as leaders, we as change agents, recognize when we've hit that point of diminishing marginal returns. And so if we're trying to push for a transformation and we're trying to bring together the C-suite and we've done everything we can, we've tried common goals, we've tried uh, uh, softening the language around agile, you know, we've tried retrospective activities and nothing is working. I think it's important that we allow ourselves to be okay with that outcome and then to contemplate our own next step. Either, again, I'm going to adjust how I present professionally or I'm going to thank this organization. I'm going to move on to a company whose objectives better align to my passions. Very well put, uh, Jerome, because it's not always that as change agents, uh, we also have to accept uh, not necessarily failure, but it's not alignment, right? Sometimes we have to also be say, okay, how quickly do I want to add this to my resume? And uh, not necessarily resume to show off, but uh, celebrate our own successes, right? Yes. And can I just say, hey, it's, uh, am I at peace with myself? And can I get those eureka moments when somebody is able to transform? Can I see them more and more, right? Uh, that helps your thinking and that makes you at peace, saying, okay, this is, my, this is what I can operate on. And if I, if I can accept it, then let me stay here. Otherwise, it becomes a very toxic environment in your head. That environment may not be toxic, right? But in your head, you may, it may be harder. It's 100% spot on, I think. And, and, and I, I used to give a lecture called Contagious Leadership. I still do once in a while, but it's one of my favorites. And um, in that lecture, I talk about uh, a daily practice that you might adopt. I called it the car test. And what I said basically is that when you pull up to your company headquarters, which you know, different world now, obviously, so maybe before you fire up that first Zoom call in the pandemic environment, Sit with yourself for a moment. Ask yourself, you know, how am I feeling today? Uh, am I excited? Did I wake up and I'm already having ideas on what I'm going to try to do with my team? Or I've got a meeting with this leader and I know we can establish some, some common outcomes that we want to work with. Awesome. Get on the Zoom call. You know, your team is waiting for you. They need you. But if you find yourself saying, I'm really frustrated right now, you know, and I've been beating my head against this wall for months and I can't even get a meeting with this particular executive and, you know, they're really impeding our change efforts. I think one, it's important that you own that. And so you know, I, a technique that I like to use is a one word retrospective. So when you're starting a meeting with your team, you know, we'll go around the table in a single word, how are you doing today? And I might say, I'm feeling stymied or I'm feeling impeded or whatever the case might be. And so one important personally that we acknowledge that to our peers, because they can tell, you know, they, they know when you're, you're in it and when you're faking it. So don't, don't try to hide that. The people that you spend 10 hours a day with know how you're feeling. But then secondarily, if that becomes the norm rather than the exception, I think that's when you really have to take stock and make that decision to say either I'm going to be okay staying here and the progress is going to be very slow and incremental and that's all right. Or you know what, I'm a transformation leader and I need to be with a company who wants to transform at scale as opposed to a continuous improvement mindset. So be aware of yourself, check in with yourself in the same way that you have retrospectives with your team is what I might suggest. Excellent, excellent. In fact, we have this uh, single word, right? Tell about what you're feeling uh, whenever we start a meeting. I think it's an important thing to say, how am I feeling uh, as a leader and uh, look at your mirror and say, hey, am I proud of what I did yesterday? And uh, yes have this concept that when I comb my hair uh, five days in a row, if I feel that I'm not being proud of what I'm doing, maybe I have to do something else. I have, otherwise, I have to change the environment. Very, very well put, uh, Jerome. 
I love it's it. It's a great way to think about it. Are, are you proud of what you accomplished today? And even, even to your earlier point, when you talk about a, a resume or whatnot, um, that's where I think you should highlight those outcomes. You highlight those accomplishments. And you know, we'll go all the way back to your earlier point about not confusing activity with progress and with outcomes. Highlight on your CV, highlight on your LinkedIn profile. Hey, here's what I've actually achieved. I helped this you know, major financial services company to upscale uh, you know, tech modernization approach with a massive SAP financial backbone. That's a tangible outcome that you were able to deliver. Not, oh, I earned my uh, CSM, I earned my CSPO, et cetera. You know, that's, that's the equivalent. You know, if, you're a, if you're a masonry, you know, that's like going out and buying a, a truckload of bricks. You know, that's great. Now I have the potential to build a wonderful building. I haven't done anything with it yet, but I have these bricks on my truck and I can drive them to your site if you like. But you know, when you've built the, the Louvre or the Taj Mahal, then you can point at that and say, I did this. That's an outcome. And that, that I think is what we as change agents and agilists, that that's where we draw our energy from and we take pride in. Very well put, Jerome. I think as harbingers of change, are we courageous to say so to ourselves first and then also to the leaders who are our sponsors to say that, hey, this is what we need to do. Sometimes yes. I have tried this and it works, right? You say, hey, here is a problem and unless this happens, I, it doesn't work. So they say, oh my goodness, this is an eye-opener, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely correct. I know we are off time. So I last, uh, in any thoughts that you want to leave uh, to our listeners, Jerome, I know this has been an exciting conversation for me and it's a very changing world, right? Uh, any change conversation that you want to leave with our listeners? I would say for starters, know yourself. And so you'll know, have that check-in with yourself on a regular basis. Know what it is that you are looking for in terms of an experience with your client, with your company. Know what your career trajectory ought to look like from your standpoint. Because if you don't have a plan, you will become a part of someone else's. And so own your own career trajectory is what I would say. And then with that, approach that with the same iterative, agile mindset. So you might say to yourself, today I'm a scum master supporting a single team. I've worked with some brilliant agile coaches like Yitri. I want to be her. That's the next step on my career trajectory. And so I'm going to reach out to her. I'm going to say, Yitri, can I buy you a cup of coffee? Or can we have a, a Zoom session or whatnot? You know, tell me what you did to get there. What type of experiences should I be looking for in order to get to that next step? And so you've got a plan and then you're building out a circle of mentors, a circle of experts who can give you feedback. And you should be looking to associate with people who are smarter than you, who are more successful than you. I, I've made my living off of standing on the shoulders of giants. Like I've got a short list of people that I just owe my career to, and I'm so grateful for. But that can be difficult for some to accept that you know, I'm, I'm willingly entering into a relationship where I don't know as much as this other person. I don't have the experience that they have. That can be tough, but it's also one of the most rewarding things that you'll ever do. So build out that circle of mentors and stay with them. And as you accumulate experience, you're going to bring new people into that circle of trust. Um, I mentioned a gentleman that I had the opportunity to work with recently. His name was Rami, and he, he was just an amazing leader and such a cerebral leader. And I learned so much from him. And so I'm staying connected with him. I'm saying, I think about looking into biopharma. You know, what are you thinking? He's got advice on that. Um, Marty Kagan released a new book recently, and I, I, I'm, I'm swapping notes with Marty over LinkedIn. I'm like, you know, what do you think about this approach in product management? You have to have a, a mindset, I think, of constant humility that you are always open to learn from other people's perspectives and then be mindful of the experts that you invite into your circle. You're always looking to grow that. And as your career progresses, so too should your circle of men 
mentors expand. And you should be taking in then people with different perspectives than your own, deliberately so, as someone who will challenge your thing. But I think by taking ownership and accountability of your own career and knowing what it is you want, you're going to be much better positioned than to determine, yes, this is the right engagement for me. If I can accomplish this, I will add this outcome to my list of experiences. And that will elevate me to where I want to go, or that will get me to the type of experience that I want to have going forward. Oh, so very well put, Jerome. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, I appreciate you. I appreciate everything that you're doing to the um, Agile community and the transformational space. Thank you. I really appreciate the chance to, to speak with you as well, Gitri. Best luck with the podcast and uh, best luck to you personally. I hope you're doing great. Yep. Thank you. This podcast was created on Hubhopper Studio. If you wish to start your own podcast for free, visit www.hubhopperstudio.com. Hubhopper is India's leading podcast creation platform. Start your podcast with Hubhopper Studio and you get your voice heard across platforms like Spotify, Ghana, Google Podcasts, Wink Music and more. Click on the link in the episode description or visit www.hubhopperstudio.com. We thank Siddharth for the music and Malavika for promoting the Software People Stories. If you like this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network. If you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com. This podcast was created on Hubhopper Studio. If you wish to start your own podcast for free, visit www.hubhopperstudio.com. Hubhopper is India's leading podcast creation platform. Start your podcast with Hubhopper Studio and you get your voice heard across platforms like Spotify, Ghana, Google Podcasts, Wink Music and more. Click on the link in the episode description or visit www.hubhopperstudio.com.